0: Welcome back to Part 2 in Programme 2. Well, the 11 German U-boat crew arrived in stages to the Galleyhead Lighthouse after manoeuvring the dinghies into an inlet at the bottom of the cliff and then having to climb to the very top of this very steep cliff and make their way to the lighthouse. For 13-year-old Mary Glanville, her brother and her sister, this was a very exciting occasion. But when the excitement had died down, and for days afterwards, Sam Glanville refused to tell his children which cliff the German sailors had scaled to get to the top, and he had every good reason not to do so.
1: Especially my brother and I, we were real cliff climbers up and down and down onto beaches. Dreadfully dangerous things. But anyway, we got away with it. And they were—they had come in probably in a rubber dinghy. And I remember thinking, maybe I was wrong, you see, memory can fool you. They didn't appear to have wet clothes or anything. They weren't distressed looking. And there, were, there was a discussion, what would they give them? What would they give them to eat? Mind the tea, of course. Tea rationing, they were given coffee because they were from the continent and people from that continent drank coffee so they were given the hour of coffee probably very simple maybe bread and butter but I remember they noticed the Cork Examiner on Joe's table with Aira on it and a look of relief on somebody's face of these men they were quite cheerful they were kept to themselves my father was my father and Joe were able to communicate in some way with them my father had sub smattering of German I think one of the men showed photographs of his little child Joe Burns's First baby was brought down, a little girl, brought down from upstairs and shown, and there was great excitement and emotion. And I have the feeling my mother and the three of us, Michael, my sister and I, were at the kitchen table in observing all of this going on. Then suddenly, I don't know what time either, more men arrived. So the first lot were only maybe five or six, because according to what my mother wrote, there were 11 altogether. So more arrived and they were all delighted to see each other and the whole thing went on. Now, who did what as regards, what do you do with these men? I presume my father and Joe, and there was a telephone, you see, in, in a separate house, which is no longer at the galley. There was a spare house. The telephone rang in both dwellings. But to answer the telephone, you had to come out of your own house. Go to the spare house which is a single-story house with for uh, fitters and men who'd be coming to do work and so forth. So anyway, I presume all that was done somehow. And by morning, now it was either the LDF or the LSF, because they were two kind of like, um, what would you call them, home guards? Yeah, uh, and LDF the LDF
0: were the, the forerunner of the FCA. Yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly, yes. Yeah. They were the local defence force and Oscar that I can't quite remember, and the local security force. Somebody came in a little lorry, and anyway, a small little truck, and a man from Clonakilty named Murphy, and... Obviously, he must have been kind of in charge of it. Now, I can't remember if the men who came, or how many came, a driver and maybe one other, maybe a guard, I'm not sure. And then these so-called soldiers were put into the truck and taken away.
0: My next call is to Kelleher's hardware and builder's providers at the bridge in Bandon. I'm here to meet Therese Kelleher. Back on the 12th of March, 1945, at the Galleyhead Lighthouse, Therese Kelleher was then Therese Burns a baby in her mother's arms and the baby that the German sailor was comparing with his own little girl back in Germany. Along with Sam Glanville, Joe Burns, Therese's father, was a lighthouse keeper at the time on the galley head.
2: I was born at galley head towards the end of the last world war and my parents met at Fisher's Cross. My mother's home on holidays from England, she was a nurse there and they got married and a year later I was born and that's the start of my life as a, in the light keeping.
0: Yeah. Business. Prior to coming to uh, the galley head, where was your father stationed? I think he was in
2: County Down, but I can't be sure.
0: So you were very, very young in the L- galley,
2: was an infant, weeks, yeah.
0: weeks old. So what happened on the night of Monday, the twelfth of March, nineteen forty-five? Is from your point of view here, so because you're you're going on what your parents had told you. So what did they say about that night and the sequence of events?
2: My mother always said she was minding me upstairs and she saw flares. Now, she'd been a nurse in England during the war, so was aware of what flares were. So she came down to my father, and I'm not sure what happened in the intervening period, but the Germans arrived in our house. And my mother always said that she couldn't get over their extreme youth. Now, she was 24, which means they must have been much younger if she thought that. And they said that the first thing they did was burn their papers. We'd arrange in the kitchen. My father would have been on duty. probably was in the middle of the night. I'm not sure what time it was. And they burnt their papers. And my father always said they were dry. So he meant they weren't in the water.
0: What happened um, then after that?
2: Well, they'd know English and they gave my mother uh, a coin, which I have to this day. And in sign language, they suggested to her that she would have that fashioned into a brooch, which she never did. And I have it. The neighbours came to the house. And of course, as you can imagine, it caused great excitement in a small rural area and being wartime provisions were low I'm sure and they brought I presume something like milk and bread and things of that nature I'm not sure how long they stayed the Germans I mean but the uh, army came and they were taken to the Corral that was the information I have about them
0: Your mother was a wartime nurse That's and right and on that night she remembers seeing a flare so she knew about flares as well Yes,
2: that's true So i say she was in London during the war so she was quite familiar of things of that nature So she alerted my father and i say I don't know what happened in the intervening period but they arrived in our house anyway
0: There seems to be three theories as to why the crew scuttled their submarine. Theory one is that they knew the war was almost over, and rather than risk a dangerous journey back to Germany, they scuttled the submarine and handed themselves over to a neutral country, in this case Ireland. Theory two is that the submarine was hit by a mine, and after initially discussing the idea of limping her back to Germany, they decided that they wouldn't make it after all, and so the submarine was scuttled. Theory three. The 78 rock in the area is named so because it didn't appear on the Admiralty charts until 1978, and so the crew weren't aware of its presence when they were sailing in the area. It's reckoned by some that the submarine hit this rock, was damaged to such an extent that it would be impossible to make it back home. Brendan Cahill is a former diver, and he's a member of Towhead Coast Guard. He has dived on the site of u 260 on numerous occasions, and so he's quite familiar with the condition of the submarine and the damage to it. Well,
3: my theory would be that it hit, there is quite very close. In fact, within two hundred metres of where the U two hundred and sixty now lies is a large pinnacle of rock, and it's known as the seventy eight rock. And the reason that it's known as the seventy eight rock is that it didn't actually exist on Admiralty charts until nineteen seventy eight. Now, what myself and the the lads that have dived with me on the U boat believe, given the proximity of the rock and then the damage that is actually that you can see to the bow section of the U two sixty is more consistent with it having collided with the rock rather than having been subject of the huge amount of damage that would have been sustained by an explosion, be it a mine, a bomb or whatever else. The damage I won't say is superficial, obviously it was sufficient that it was sufficient to dam- or to sink the U-boat ultimately, but it would not be consistent with damage caused by an explosion and having dived on a number of other wrecks which have uh, have been war losses, normally damage caused by explosion is catastrophic and also in relation to the U-260 she still carries live torpedo tubes in the bow and had it been a mine that she struck, the probability of sympathetic detonation setting off those torpedo tubes and causing absolutely catastrophic damage to the bow of the U-boat would have been very very high. And also very unlikely that all of the crew would have survived Again, which they did, they did in this instance. And if in w- researching U-boat losses, one consistently sees in U-boat losses all crew are lost, all crew are lost. And I think out of thirty-five thousand U-boat men that went to sea in the Second World War, or twenty-eight thousand of them died. So they had a huge mortality rate. And in this instance, for all of the crew to actually escape was. A very very unusual and again i think that would be more consistent with the collision theory on top of that we have also carried out dives between the bow section of the u-boat and the 78 rock and in swimming along a line a direct line we've actually discovered wreckage which is identifiable as being part of the u-boat between its current position and the 78 rock so it does there seems to be a weight of evidence there that would tend to to point towards it
0: Pat Joe Harrington was eight years of age. On the night, 11 German crew members of the Scuttle submarine U-260 came ashore and clambered up the rocks at the foot of the lighthouse.
4: And the first we knew about it was they landed when the crew of the submarine came in under the lighthouse. They were, they were taken into the lightkeeper's house and someone in the lighthouse actually went to Fisher's Cross down to the local pub and shop for bread and tea and milk and Jordanovan, who was the head, old man that time at Fisher's Cross he called to our house and I'll never forget he announced there's Germans after landing and you can imagine the excitement then at that so we got up eventually and we made our way to the lighthouse and I met another neighbor and we walked around the wall I don't know where the sister Sheila went. She went up to She met some other one. They went into the house. We uh, I remember going along the wall looking down at the dinghy. And there was, a, I don't know whether they lay or something that time. As far as we were concerned, they were all soldiers. So we went over to the house then. And one of the crew, he had three who was, I'd say, about two months old at the time, up on her arms. And he explained to someone that he had a baby about the same age at home. They were all lined out there. And I suppose... The army came in with trucks, so they were all loaded up and taken away to the corra. the only th- regret we had, we thought we'd get a day of school over it. But that finished when they were gone at nine o'clock. But I remember Joe Borden, the light keeper, and Peggy Borden, Joe's wife, got a coin from. Him. But um, they had sweets and cigarettes. They seemed to have plenty of those things. But a lot of people maintained that time. was how the Scotland that was uh, a Otherly, take off from the submarine because there was none of them wet or anything. They were, they were all dry. So, and, you know, they came ashore. At first, they were looking at the court MacLife. But we see that uh, that came out there and, and that picked up more and more towards landors, And uh, they picked him up. So they were all saved. And, uh, but they put off layers and come in and... I suppose they lit the place up with the flares and the light keepers, and there was a course watcher. there was a little hut on top of the cliff there where the course watchers were. But uh, I'm not sure now, but I presumed that. i said, Job One was well fairly lively man that time. he probably went down the cliff to direct him up. But they all came up the cliff, anyhow.
0: Somebody said that the one thing they noticed about them was that they were very young. Young in the sense of maybe 19, 20 years of age. Yeah, they but were a very said, young crew.
4: They said the oldest them were 23 years, and they were from that down, I'd say, then. Or all a young crowd. Sure I suppose? You see the war that Hindu? Well, the millions gone. I suppose they were just coming on the youth in again. So it was fair going like till 23 year old captain of the ship or whatever he was to leave Germany and up the North Sea. They had to go up the North Sea and around because I suppose the English Channel they were being watched. So they had a tough time. But the war finished up in May. Then I think after that,
0: you failed to get a day off from school anyway. We failed to get
4: a day off from yeah, school. Yeah, that was all a regret. <laughs>
0: 0800 On the 13th to the 3rd, 1945 One rubber shifts raft Two inflators One flare container Handed over to Corporal Daly of Collins Barracks 0950 Handed over to Corporal Daly Flares taken from raft washed ashore at Long Strand Castle Freak Also, one parachute flare for delivery to ordnance at Collins Barracks 0910 Sighted Court McSherry lifeboat south of port moving east Informed message centre also, Irish torpedo boat two miles south of port moving east. Visibility moderate. A copy of the Coast Watch report from the lookout post on the galley head for the early hours of the morning of Tuesday, March 13th, 1945, kindly supplied to us by military archives. But these are all activities for the adult world. Young Mary Glanville discovered that the life of a child usually carries on regardless. And, just like Patcho Harrington, there was no escaping school that day.
1: And then in school, my brother was ahead of me in school, in the class, and the master asked me to tell him, or the whole, there were about four classes in the room, very simple school, yeah. what happened. And I couldn't think of what to say. I thought, he should be asking my brother. He's older than me. And he broke. But I said something with questions and answers. And then it all finished. Now, when we got home, Michael and I went exploring. We found probably silk from the little parachute, we think, from a flare. And I don't know how we acquired that paddle there, but we got it somehow. There was a pair of binoculars, I don't know where they went. My father mentioned it, and then he never talked much about it again, actually. It was just something that happened.
0: And that's the end of part two in programme two. The story of the lightkeeper's daughter and the scuttling of German submarine U 260 concludes in part three after the break.